There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to The Mentor. I'm Mark Boris. I love talking about the metaverse. My mind asks from one place to another, thinking up new possibilities. If you're not in gaming or virtual reality, you might think the metaverse is irrelevant to your business. That will be a massive mistake. The AFL is now entering this metaverse world in a joint partnership with a digital agency called B Media. And that is the business of today's episode. Jordan Fogarty, the company's CEO and founder, has kept in step with Web 1, Web 2, and now Web 3, and has since been acquired by Animoca Brands for a 67% stake in his business. But he still remains, he's still the CEO. It was just in January this year that Animaker Brands raised approximately $360 million in fresh funding at a valuation of more than US $5 billion. So we're talking about a serious investor. The acquisition by Animoca has added B Media to a growing portfolio of more than 170 investments in NFT-related companies and decentralized projects. Jordan and I discuss how NFTs can design amazing ecosystems and opportunities for your business, the process of his acquisition, and the joint NFT project with the AFL teams. So let's get into it. Jordan Fogarty, welcome to The Mentor Mate. Thanks for having me, Mark. The Mentor Mate, that could be a new name for our business. Well, I'm talking <laughs> to a media guy or a marketing guy. Maybe you could tell, give me some advice on that later. So I want to sort of get a sense of, who is Jordan Fogarty? Yeah, sure. I think um, I had a had a great upbringing. Um, moved up to the hills as well. What's the hills mean? Because we're in Sydney over here. So yeah, what's yeah, the exactly. Um, just uh, the hills is about forty five minutes out of uh, the city, east um, of the city, east of the city. Yeah, and grew up in Bickley Valley, which is a beautiful ten acre. There was a lakes and dams, and Mum always had the vision of us growing up on a farm. So that was great. I think it was good for us in our primary school years. And then went to Scotch College in Perth, which is a boys' school. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's a that. private school there. There's yeah. one in Melbourne. There's one in. There's not one in Sydney. There's one in Perth and one in Melbourne. Yes, yeah, yeah correct. Yeah. Swanky sort of joint though. I mean, it's 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 a good school. Yeah, it's a good school. I think it was nice having the uh, primary school years, um, co-ed, um, and uh, it was nice to balance off the the schooling and then then do that for high school. I, I heard you had an accident. Can you tell me about that? Yeah, so that was probably one of the uh, maybe pivotal moments of my life so far. Uh, was down in uh, yelling up near Margaret River yep. in, in the southwest and, yeah, got into a car with a driver, stupidly, uh, and don't remember much more beyond this moment, but, yeah, 140 kilometres an hour into a tree. I was front left passenger. 
Wow. And broken right to the back. Uh, I think it took him about an hour, more than an hour to get me out of the car. Airlifted back to Royal Perth Hospital. Mum arrived there and they're like, I think she'd been told I'd just broken my arm because they don't like to create too much drama. And then they're like, oh, no, you know, he's, he, he won't be with us in the next sort of an hour. He's lost too much blood. And then, of course, she went into meltdown and, yeah, was in a coma. They were going to amputate both my legs. They'd actually made the decision to do it and then they pulled back um, and, yeah, was in a well, coma. Well, what were the extent of your injuries though? Oh, how much time ago? Uh, yeah, so I've got a big metal plate at the back of my head. Um, uh, I've had a couple of like sort of surgeries on my the front of my face here, my eye. Shattered my both my femurs, um, yep. like completely shattered. Um, broke all my left ribs. My left arms had three or four reconstructions. Uh, so I think it was about twenty four bones in total that, that were broken. Um, I didn't, yeah, my legs, uh, my ankle, yeah. Wow, and did it? Did a good how job. How long did it take to sort of get repaired? <laughs> yeah, uh, I remember being told by one of the doctors when I woke up and had come to a little bit right. Um, you're never going back to – I was doing law commerce at the time. Like, you're not going back to that. We've just got to readjust what your future is going to be. Uh, you're going to be in hospital for probably 6 to 12 more months. Then you'll be in rehab. So the life you had before, like you're not going to have that life anymore. And I think I've – How old were you? I was 19. Wow. I think I've had a few – you know, I've got that sort of screw you uh, in me sometimes if, if I don't agree. And that screw you definitely went off. I didn't say screw you, um, but I was like, I'll show you. Um, and kind of, yeah, lit this fire in my belly to get to get better. Well, like that, that, I just can't imagine that level of injury. I mean, I guess associated with that is a whole lot of pain and lo- loss of functionality and to some extent probably even a bit of despair um, it sort of could descend upon you. Um when you say screw you, was was that the thing that gave you or turned you into having to become optimistic or were you always optimistic about your, your outcomes or your potential to be okay? Yeah, I think I had, you know, a few years prior I'd started, I remember I picked up How to Win Friends and Influence when I was, uh, influence people when I was 13 and my mum was like, oh, that's interesting. Uh, I started to, you know. You mean the book? Yeah, the book, yeah, yeah, the book, yeah, yeah, uh, which was probably unusual for a 13-year-old. Um and started to get into those type of things, um, understanding like power of the mind and these things. So when that event happened, I could, I could, I had that sort of belief that no, it's it's really up to me and my mind here. I could listen to that guy, and and you know what, that guy was probably being reasonable at the time, saying just trying to reset your expectations. Luckily, I had that sort of no, it's really up to what I think and how I imagine I'm going to get through this. And you know, it's nice having hope to cling to rather than going I'm sitting in bed if I laugh my whole body hurts my lungs are sore like my ribs you know it it was gave me hope to go so I just sat there thinking about running on the beach in front of my house like constantly Uh, that's sort of had a lot of spare time when we couldn't have visitors so I just kind of imagined in advance being well it's sort of a bit amazing to me though to be honest with you I would hope that I'd be the same way as that. Thank God I never had that accident, but an accident like that. But as a young nineteen-year-old, um, that's sort of at a point in your in your life when everything's happening, you know. Like, mm-hmm. And all of a sudden, you're being completely grounded. How long yeah. were you grounded for? Like uh, two years, three years? Yeah. Well, you're spot on. I, I was definitely in that period of my life where I was absolutely, un, you know, 
un, unbeatable or whatever, invincible, right? Um, so I was running three and a half, four months later, which I was pretty stoked about. What, jogging, you mean? Yeah. Wow. On that beach in front of the house. Um, but how would you do that? Just through upping the ante on the rehab, like just saying if they want me to do 10, I'm going to do 20? But what, what Yeah, was- a few things like within I, when I came to because I was on, you know, they put you on all this medication and, and drugs to stop the pain. I remember very quickly I was like, no more painkillers for me. They're like, you're being unreasonable. That's and I'm like, listen, I've got to get better. I need to be feeling better. They fuck you up, those painkillers. Oh yeah, they they seem to be mental. Yeah, I, totally. I, I, I actually had a not as bad thing, but where they had me on the morphine thing, and in there I said, oh, stop. Get oh, pay- these were endones and these things. Yeah, no, no, and I was no, like, that's all. Just give me a panel or something because I I'd rather be pain. Yes, a bit of pain. Yeah. and discomfort. Yeah, than that shit because it was actually sending me a bit crazy. Yeah. Did you experience that? Yeah, I, 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 and you know, you've seen stories and things where people can get addicted to those things, and I just knew straight away. Hold on, if I'm going to get better, I've got to be doing all the right things. I've got to be thinking healthily. I've got to be eating healthily. I can't be, you know, take every two hours taking two to two to four painkillers. So, and then I knew that in the hospital it wasn't a great environment, right? It's the hospital. It's not you don't wake up inspired in a hospital. <laughs> and I was being, I was being moved to a a rehabilitation facility where, you know, a lot of people had, unfortunately, it's been, you know, worse than me where they'd lost their, you know, they'd lost their minds or they'd sort of been so badly debilitated. And and I remember friends and people just being like, we can't have you there for the next six months because that's a real risk to mentally kind of just, you know, fall into full depression and things. So, I remember negotiating with the hospital, get me, get me out, let me go home, and then I daily go for this rehabilitation. So it was cool, like really good mates of mine and everyone all rallied around. We're like, we'll drive you at 7 a.m. and then I'll drive you home and then we'll drive you for the afternoon session. And, I mean, to answer your question, I'm not sure exactly. I think it was just a mixture of a mixture of all these healthy activities and kind of, you know, resting heaps. Uh, but... I did the next layer. This was actually the easy bit, which you might go, what? Where's he going with this? I then was told, oh, the driver left the accident. The driver left the scene. I was going to ask you about the driver because he must have been pretty fucked up. Yeah, so he left the, he left the scene. So oh, I so you mean he, he was driving the car and he, he bolted? He bolted. And then the neighbours came out and then they saw him speaking to him, you idiot, and then he bolted. So and then the- they didn't know I was in the car. Oh, and then I woke up um, and the lady told me this, you know, a year later. So that was harder than everything. He was I a mate of yours, I guess. He wasn't. He um, he was someone I'd just, yeah, recently been introduced to. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So that was the harder bit. That was probably the year, year and a half of going through the courts with all of that. And well, why did you have to go through the courts with him? Well, he was being charged for like criminal, you know, behaviour, like leaving the scene of an accident. Criminal negligence or something along those yeah. lines. Yeah. When someone's, you know, died or got grievous bodily harm, it's up to 14 years. And you had to give evidence or something. Yeah. Why was that hard? I mean, did you not want to get him nailed or, I mean. Oh, totally. Well, that was the, you know, the cycle of I want to kill this guy. Yeah, yeah. Dad, my brother, how are we going to kill this guy? Like actually not even joking, you know, that goes through your mind. And then it was like um, this hatred and then I remember um, someone asking me, when will you forgive him? I'm like. What are you fucking kidding me? What am I going to forgive this guy? And they're like, no, well, you know, when? When do you think we'll be? So maybe five years. They're like, okay. A couple of weeks later, asked me the same question. When do you think you'll? And then I kind of went on this journey. Who was that like, person was asking you that? 
It was a it was a sort of a healer type person, if you like, counselor. Yeah. yeah. So you you went off to therapy, so to speak. Yeah. After about a year, because yeah. the first year I was um I was fine. You know, you sort of go through that. Uh, what is it? Maybe denial phase. I was like, I'm absolutely fine. And I remember it was a you know friend of friend of the family, and she came over to the house and was like, Oh, I was like, absolutely fine. She was like, Okay, yeah, when, fuck off. Leave me yeah, alone. yeah, leave me alone. I'm fine. I've got enough. I've got enough things I'm dealing with right now to go to to go to the headspace stuff, right? So then she was like, well, When you're ready, let's you know come come and see me. We'll get a coffee, and that's where that kind of um, portion. How happened. did you know you were ready? Or what made you take that leap? That's time we talk to the healer. Well, I wasn't. You know, I was. It was interesting because I wasn't working. I wasn't studying. I didn't have all the usual stimulus. I wasn't out partying and seeing my mates as much because I was like, you know, pretty beaten up. So you have a lot of downtime just by yourself. And after you've watched enough movies and read books and you're tired all the time, you sort of start to get like, you know, you are pretty. And then I was like, okay, I've got to tackle this because I'm not feeling great now. Like I'm not, I don't think I was depressed, but I was like, you know, I, I was definitely not myself. I was just kind of tired and fatigued and bored. Were you blaming this dude as well? Did you have some sort of blame in there? Well, I remember when this lady that when I went for this coffee with her, she said, and it came out and I went, whoa, okay, I've got to deal with this. I said, he tried to kill me. <laughs> and, you know, like he didn't, right? Yeah, yeah. It was a stupid mistake. And, hey, if I'd been in a car at 140 kilometres an hour and crashed it, you're probably not in the greatest decision-making, you know, position, right? So, but that's what came out. Like he tried to kill me and she was like, oh, okay. And then once I heard that, I was like, okay. You heard yourself say heard my help, Yeah, heard myself say that. I was like, wow, my mind has taken it to that level. Like it's gone from it, I never saw it until this, you know, criminal court case. I never saw his side of the story right that – Hey, he didn't try and he didn't go get in the car and he crash into a tree. To. No, of course not. Yeah, but he was reckless. Yes, doing 140 k's an hour, perhaps. Yeah. yeah. So, but how? So, I'm very curious about this part about the the, the lady healer. Yeah. Saying to you, when are you going to forgive him? What was the process of you actually? I mean, I'm assuming you did forgive him. How did that go? Like, how yeah. Did that work? Okay, let's let's go there. Um, this. The first time she asked me, yeah, I said five years and then went back. I started seeing her fortnightly and then I think it went to weekly because I was like – and she was doing some sort of, um, you know, some physical healing as well, right? They're sort of – because it's got to unlock some some stuck emotions and all of these things. And then I just went along and she was like kind of – she knew how to work with me. She wasn't, you know, those sayings like, oh, holding on to the coals just burns yourself, you know, all those forgiveness sayings. She knew that wouldn't work with me. So she just sort of – went through and then she was trying to get me to see like what impact would holding on to this stuff have on my kids. I didn't have kids at the time, but you know, I do now. What what impact would this have? So then I started to open my mind to thinking, okay, of him and how maybe he's dealing with it and that it wasn't a mistake. And going through the court case was an interesting story because it was about three days. It was honestly it feels like it was a movie because there was a whole day I remember his lawyers were really pushing me like, well, trying to trip me up. And the judge ended up jumping in and going, stop. No more questions like this. Like that's that's just out of line. But like what? what like for example? You know, well, really, but you said that he, you saw him at this time and then just trying to trip me up. Yeah, yeah. And then asking different angles like I was the person that had done something wrong. He'd become the poacher. Yeah, it was like, hold on, I'm not, <laughs> I'm not the perpetrator here. Uh, so 
Then that night we were going to leave and there was this wild storm and we all got locked in the courthouse. He wouldn't even read about this. And his parents are over there on one side of the courthouse and we're all sitting there not looking and kind of, you know, it's a bit of tension. And that was interesting being locked in this place for a few hours. The next day the, it ended and the, the judge, he got guilty sentence and then the judge asked me, Jordan, you've got an hour to go and give your victim statement so I can help make my sentence, right? So he's found guilty, but how long is he going to go to jail or is he going to go to jail? I remember going to my car and just sitting there and like I need some time by myself and I was like, okay, I'm being asked now to to impact his sentencing. And I came back and said, listen, I'm, you know, I don't, I'm not saying anything, no comment. You know, you guys are a justice system. You work We've got it the out. laws. Yeah, you you work it out. Don't yeah. make this my problem to f- yeah. hold on to for the next, you know, 60 years. And then he got found guilty, got a suspended sentence. And then I remember the court case ended and then he was over there and, I, and we'd sort of been catching each other's eyes. And then I just felt this moment of like, this is the time to go and forgive. You know, I was got goosebumps. Um, I was, and I'd heard his whole side of the story, you know, and I sort of felt a lot more balanced that, hey, this guy didn't intentionally do this. And I remember went up and gave him a hug. And then the whole courtroom was like, and my, I got a twin sister, my brother, they just wanted to, you know, hated him and they were friends with him. And then they came up and it was like their moment of forgiveness. Then my mom. And then the parents came up and it was just this big <laughs> crying fest. And it was nice though because what's the alternative? You see these people that hold on to stuff. They need to weigh at them. Yeah, they go, they go to their grave. Yeah. And then they become bitter and they kind of walk around that. Yeah, they eat away at them. It's funny. We had Danny Abdullah here and I don't know if you know the story about him but on the show about a couple of weeks ago and um, he talked about when his kids were involved in a motor vehicle accident when someone drove onto a footpath and killed three of his six kids when he turned up to the accident site, how he was able to build forgiveness immediately because he's a devout Christian but it it was about he looked at it as a a rite of passage in order for him to be able to be better himself. Wow. And and you're you're saying the same thing. It's it's a powerful it's a powerful tool or characteristic the ability to forgive, very, very powerful. And you're actually giving yourself a gift. Mm. You're ridding yourself of the poison that hatred and anger can create inside yourself. And uh, it's very powerful. I want to know then how would you get into the advertising business? Yeah. I mean like it's you're going from being a a law student (laughs) to becoming and having a bad accident being disabled, so to speak, for a while getting back on your feet, getting through the court case, going through the field, and all of a sudden you you end up in a digital agency or an agency at least. Yeah. I always knew I wanted to have my own business and I sort of got the marks for law or medicine, did law, went back to do a year of it after the accident sort of just to prove that I could, right? And then I was like, okay, I want to start my own business and started this sort of um, virtual assistant business on the side at uni and what everyone wanted was marketing help digital help and at the time you know eight years ago no one knew about facebook ads didn't even exist then and how, how do you with my socials and how do you uh, yeah, yeah with their marketing their website their ads the blah 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 blah. you know no one's reading the newspaper anymore all of this so then um i was actually doing some some consulting for a property firm and had all these agencies come in i was like they're all going into the jargon no one cares about this like business results and actual 
driving fundamental growth and these no one's asked me these questions and I was 23 at the time I was like I'll have a crack at this I know how to do it and I'll figure it out and why don't we you know if you've got actual business principles and driving those key business fundamentals and and targets and that's what you're focused on with these business owners and then you just use the marketing to help them get there isn't that just a normal kind of approach I thought but but it wasn't happening so Started the agency, grew quite quickly, um, and then was yeah, I was just hardcore, hardcore mofo as a twenty-three-year-old, just you know, cold calling, doing all these push-ups in the morning, listening to these podcasts, like, and just yeah, I was a maniac. People talk about with them young, their younger selves when they're twenty-three, um, and they're not making any money, but they're doing the yards, yeah, and it, but they have the ambition at the same time, and there's this tension between ambition and results no results yeah yeah yeah. and then but somehow you get over that no results and you still keep chasing your ambition yeah and you somehow manage to employ this virtue called patience which is the hardest thing in the world to find yeah (laughs) but you employ this thing called patience because it seems to me anyway i remember doing it when i was young is i build the biggest story the greatest story in other words i'm going to get really good at this yeah Therefore, it's worth being patient because whilst I'm not seeing dollars transactionally come into my account, I know I'm adding value to my own brand or my own business or my own learnings. Yeah. And that's sort of dollars in the bank one day. What I did consciously was like condition my mind in terms of I was fearful, you know, you're you're worried, I don't have any money coming in, I've got no clients or I've only got one, I'm worried about this, I've got to pay rent, you know, that's the – and I the loop it's a the shocker. loop's going, and I was like, I've got to condition this with enough positive kind of sort of things to to overcome that at the start of the day, so I don't go down that. Slide, How'd you do right? that at the start of the day? So I would, you know, and again, I was hardcore. So I would, I mean, you Tony Robbins, all of these things. I just devouring it. So I'd go to the gym in the morning, and I remember I tell my team this sometimes. They're like, you're you're a madman, but I'd go. <laughs> it was, Tape three, it was like an audio. Tape three of Tony Robbins using the telephone and I'd listen to that tape three. It was an hour tape every morning on the rowing machine for an hour because I'd be cold calling and trying to get into businesses. I'd do that every morning. Then I'd go home, do these push-ups, night before have prepped everyone I'm calling and then sometimes I'd just get through and, you know, six calls and I'd have five epic meetings. Then I'd go and do those meetings and just sort of I was doing the actual business at night because during the day it was like trying to drive. And I just knew I've got to focus on the sales and that stuff first. If I get too focused on all the back end without that, it's I'm going to go have to get a job. There's no point having a great engine room if you don't have the sales. Yeah. You've got to generate the sales, then backfill. Yes, that's totally. a typical entrepreneur. Yeah, you know they, they don't build this beautiful machine <laughs> for years. This foundation that looks great and works perfectly. And then they go and find the business, and the business feeds in, and it all works beautifully like a like a Porsche. It's not like that. <laughs> no, it's, not like- it's like fuck. I better go find as many clients as I can. Oh, uh, I've got a massive one. Man. Oh, oh, gonna, cool. How am I going to do this? Shit, backfill. Wow, how am I? I don't actually know how to service this client. Uh, how am I going to do this? And I'll just do my backfilling, and I'll you scramble totally. That, that's that's a typical entrepreneur. Yeah, and it, then it's just that way forever, right? You, just go you keep backfilling forever and, you, and you keep scrambling, but you get really good at it. Yes, yeah. And you know how to scramble really efficiently yeah. over time and you and you start to work out where your weaknesses are and where your strengths are, then you start to backfill with it. People come into your business to help you do that part of the business yeah. that you weren't good at. It's funny, we all, I, I am, and I'm one of the people who do it and I shouldn't do it, but I'm often very critical of um, the motivational speakers because yeah. – 
I think sometimes people pay a lot of money to go and listen to them and or buy their tapes, et cetera, because that means you're watch, watching television at 2 a.m. in the morning in those days <laughs> to buy it, especially the Tony Robbins ones. But, yeah. um, and, uh, but I'm often critical of people who prosecute and or promote those types of videos as motivational videos because I say that you get motivated for a half an hour, an hour or so, and then you just drop off. But what's interesting, and I, I may be wrong then because, and I'm prepared to admit that because you've just said to me there will be, there are people like you and your cohort who actually say, no, I'm using that for a purpose. Yeah. And it's actually the thing that's going to get me through and yeah. give me the patience and give me the energy to keep doing what it is yeah. I've got to do every fucking day because yeah. otherwise I'll stop doing it yeah. and I'll have wasted my time in the beginning. And if I don't do this every single day and just keep doing it, keep doing it, keep doing it, I will never get to where I want to get to. Totally. Until you're conditioned, right, where you wake up and you're like, bang, I know what I'm here for, I know what I'm doing, and it just happens naturally, which is really hard for any human, I mean, unless I'm wrong, but like we all wake up with that kind of, you know, like the, the two different people on our shoulders. And is it, it doesn't necessarily have to be these crazy motivation type people you know like i i would think and surmise that that a 22 year old 23 year old bloke listening to this conversation on a run in the morning is better than him listening to music right like he's probably going to get more out of that and go actually hell yeah i'm 23 at the moment i got no friggin idea what i'm doing it's like mate none of us know what we're doing even when you're you know, whatever. Age. Even when you're 50, I'm telling you now, if yeah. it's new, you don't know what you do in the beginning. You are literally <laughs> chasing and it. backfilling. Yeah. Chasing and backfilling until you sort of the structure finds itself and it starts to build itself. And if it doesn't over a period of time, then you say, okay, well, that's probably the wrong thing I'm doing. Yeah. I should, I've got to get out or change something I'm doing. But you see it form itself, it builds itself around you. You can't sit down and design it as far as I'm concerned. Oh, it's too hard. I completely agree. Yeah. Yeah. So you're, um, you built this media, what was the name of your media business? B Media. Okay. And then what was its area of expertise, so to speak, specialty? Yeah. So we sort of give a quick couple of terms. I started in the web one space, which was like uh, search and website, uh, pre-social, right? And then year two of the business, Facebook ads were coming out. We went hard on that. It's known as, gets termed web two, yep. sort of social and mobile. So then we went really hard at that, built up our social teams, search teams, paid ads teams, uh, and, yeah, would really work on, like, understanding, okay, what are the key growth drivers of your business? Like, let's understand what it costs you to acquire a customer and then help scale businesses. And I love going in and problem solving. Like, there's nothing more than going and sitting with the business owners and going, what are your challenges? And this digital, I found, wasn't just bringing in leads. You could go in and help solve business problems Go, all right, your staff keep leaving, this keeps happening, that keeps happening. There's actually technology solutions that can help with that. So a lot of mine, I feel like my team would go in then I'd come in and then be really pumped about like, what's not going well or how do we get you those goals. That's where I got a big kick out of it. Where did it progress to? So it progressed to, I mean, we kept we set up uh, about four or five years ago office in Sydney, office in Melbourne. I was flying from Perth to Sydney, Melbourne all the time. Um, and, yeah, now it's progressed to, to recently in the last six months um, being, you know, having a big investor and, and having a large portion of the company acquired to take us to that next stratosphere, if you like. Okay, well, I'm going to go to the break because that's the part I really want to talk to you about. The process of acquisition, how do you find a buyer or did a buyer find you? Um, and then how do you integrate with that buyer? And then what's your new business doing? So we go to the break, we're going to come back and talk about that. Hold up. 
Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. I'm back here with Jordan Fogarty and we're talking about, well, we're sort of at that juncture in in his business life where he's about to change the structure the structure of his business is about to change with a new shareholder. Why don't you just take me through how your business was courted for a majority acquisition by, I think they're an offshore-based entity. I mean, they have a base here in Australia, but they're offshore-based. Did you look for a shareholder? So I wasn't looking, no, Um, and I think – Anyone else outside of this group, which I'll go into in a second, I probably would have been said, no, nah, I'm not really interested. Um, Adam Oka Brands and got to know the founder about five years ago. But how did you get to know the, the- So I got introduced by a friend, go, go, have, go have lunch with this guy in Sydney. And at the time, the company was worth four or five million dollars. He was trying to raise some money for it. Everyone was laughing him out of his boardrooms. Company. Yeah, his company. Yeah, yeah. Everyone was laughing him out of boardrooms going, listen, you know, this whole metaverse, blockchain, isn't that just where people, you know, like – sell drugs or something. Um, that's what people thought five years ago. And then we got to know each other, went on a board of um, one of his uh, one of his companies at the time of Fitness Metaverse, which, you know, even nowadays people are like, what on earth is that? What is um, that? So a Fitness Metaverse is basically a – so some of their assets – I actually was running just yesterday. It's a better way to – a good way to explain it um, – you can run and um, you're being talked to. You're actually playing a game while you're running, your what, kilometres you're, you're running. You're actually jogging physically. Actually physically jogging. Yep. And then the, the amount of kilometres and, and, you know, levels you get through the game, you're getting tokens and you're getting ways to actually – you're getting rewarded to then spend that. For, for what you do for running. run? Yeah. yeah. So, so you've, got, you've, got head, you've got headsets on? Yeah, it's got ear, ear, earpods, ear, earpods, earpods in, that's in, all, yeah. yeah. Okay, so you've got earpods in yeah. um, the, and you've got your – I guess you got your device in your, yeah. st- in, your in your pocket or something, or strapped yep. to your arm, yeah, because yeah. it's obviously got to get go into the internet to yeah. um, access the game. Yeah, I was running with it in my hands. Yeah, and what's the game called again? Uh, Dustland Runner. Dust. Dustland Runner. Dustland Runner. Okay, yeah. so you've downloaded Dustland Run- Runner onto your your device, yeah. smart device, and then um, you're you know you're a character, I guess. I mean, you yep. tell everybody who you are. Yeah, and 
Is it, is it somehow GPS related because is it measuring your distance and speed? It's measuring distance. So I'm running along Bondi and it's like, there's bombs, you got to run. Oh, help me. My, you know, I've been injured. And it's fun because, you know, normally running, you're listening to something on Spotify and you're a bit bored. It's like, well, you know, quick, run. Oh. So it, it gamifies oh, cool. the experience. So it gamifies what you're doing. Yeah. Uh, but does it um, uh, does it have any sensors going on? So do you, are you wearing any sensory equipment? No, or? I mean, it could go to that level in the future. The only problem with that is like they, it can get a bit dangerous, right? They they want you to just be on your normal run yep. and they're just logging the kilometres or, or the metres run. What it is picking up in terms of um, measurement, it's picking up maybe changes in speed or yeah. changes in distance, therefore speed, yeah. um, over a particular period of time. Yeah. So it must have some algorithms sort of. Totally, in distance run and probably be running off like a GPS, yeah. And, and it gives you tokens or gives you rewards. Yeah. So, and what do you do with the tokens? And you can go and spend these rewards. And, you know, in some of these these meta- In the metaverse? Yeah, in these fitness metaverses, you know, you've got Adidas, Nike, all of this on board. So you can go and actually either get shoes or clothes. Oh, you can actually spend in the real world, yeah. so to speak. So I, you can go into the metaverse or into the... Where, wherever it is. It's immersive can, internet, yeah. Yeah, and you can buy, use the tokens that you just gained. To buy stuff. Buy a pair of Adidas to get delivered to your home. Yeah, totally. Yeah, to, to go for another run. And you can put it on your avatar and, as well and, if and, you want. Okay, and so, you, so you create an avatar of yourself, Yeah, I, I guess. And what do you, what'd you call yourself? Oh, what did I? I think just flow. Just flow. <laughs> it's just came to me. Yeah. So, so you just flow the avatar, and you and I, I guess you're green or something like that. But yeah. Like, but it's you, yellow. Yeah. yeah. Yellow. Okay. And uh, but and and what else can you do? This metaverse. Oh wow! It, this, so it's such a, a, a the way I explain the metaverse is almost the next level of the internet. Remember when you know I remember year five learning typing and you're on this awful computer that's slow and that dial up sound that we've all heard. Then you move to mobile and it's a bit more engaging and the iPhone and all of this. Now the metaverse is a more immersive experience where you can through. VR, AR, you can kind of do a lot more. And there'll be, you know, we'll have overlaid um, more experiences where you're kind of seeing the digital world in, in your daily life. So in this fitness metaverse, you can go through malls, you can buy things, you can race people, you can play games. You can almost do most things you can do in the real world. Right. If someone's creative enough to, to come yeah, up yeah. with that. Uh, you know, I just thought to myself, yeah. you and I got so carried away about the fitness metaverse <laughs> that I forgot we, we sort of got off the topic well, about yeah. about the the dude coming and buying your business. Yes. So, because I, I mean, I just love this metaverse stuff. Yeah. I'm, a, I'm like, you, you can know, get carried away. Quite I easily. really, I mean, <laughs> I can get sidetracked so easy, and I'm sure. I mean, that, and maybe that's what it's sort of designed to do because it's sort of like, um, it's a it takes me out of reality and it puts me in this sort of fanciful world. Totally. Which is. Quite warm and gentle and calm, and um, and there's no risk in it. Yeah, it's quite a, a cool place to be. It can be anything you want too. For yeah, that matter. It's yeah. not not nothing. It doesn't have to be what you don't want. Yeah, which is unfortunately in the real world is there's a fair bit of that. There's a lot like of it. it yeah. Like it or not, it's, irre- it's irrelevant how you feel. It is what it is in the real world. Yeah. So. So I can't remember how we got to the fitness network, uh, fitness You asked metaverse. me how did I meet him? How yeah, that's right. Okay, yeah. so can you, tell me about that. So, so then we, we kept in touch and, you know, it was about mid last year. Um, but was he like, sorry, can I, yeah. I, go, I got this imagination, sorry to interrupt, but I got this sure. imagination of the dude. So you all talked to me this and, he, you know, we, we just talked about the fitness metaverse, but was he like some sort of character, you know, that's sort of not preaching but professing or whatever? Where the world's going to go to, and and then that got you really sucked in. Not sucked in, but like you got, 
like really curious and crazy shit about this stuff? You know, he's yet the founder is absolutely like that. He's very gentle and humble and not not preachy or professy at all, but just talking about, you know, like gaming and how we use things and, and what this technology can do for but society. Is Yoda like like is we're talking about Yoda here. <laughs> Maybe a little bit. Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. yeah. That's he the, can definitely see 10, 20 years ahead for yeah, sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you're kind of like, wow, like I felt, which I rarely feel, um, I mean, I do feel it, but but I felt, wow, this is someone I would follow. Yeah. This is someone I would work for, no problems at all. And I'd rarely ever felt that before. So but he wasn't trying myself. to get you to work for him, no, was it? No, no. It was just, hey, this is what I'm doing. You know, the company at the time was, was you know, valued at four, four, five million dollars. I mean, now it's eight and a half billion in four years. Like it's kind of gone on quite, quite a journey. Um, and and mid last year, um, that's yeah, we jumped on a call and he said, listen, you know, got a lot we want to do in Australia, a lot happening. Uh, would love to have a chat. And that's where the conversation started around, okay, what could we do together? How, how could this work? So if he wants to do something with you, Jordan, and, uh, you know, obviously you get on with him and you're sort of on a wavelength with the dude, um, why did he want to buy into your business? Was that a way of saying, okay, if I buy, the way I get Jordan to be with me and do all great things that I want to do, mm. I will buy 67, I'll buy a majority interest in Jordan's business. That way he won't, you know, he's sort of tied to me. Is that why the thinking? I mean, I think it's partially, Yat talks about it. I invest in founders, give them all the resources they need to do their thing and go hard, right? It's a smart move, never controls, never never sort of like tries to direct things. Um, so I think it was partially that. The other component was, Okay, we had we went really hard on our back end systems, processes, how we do things, had all the project managers, had a lot of the requirements that might have taken years to build. And we had troops on the ground. So I think it was a bit of bit of both, you know. It was a digital media business. B Media yeah. is a digital media business. Yeah. So so these guys bought a di- took bought a controlling interest, so to yeah. speak, but don't control it, but it bought a controlling interest in B yeah. Media. But what is your interaction now with the purchaser, so the group that yeah. actually you're a subsidiary of. What, what's your interaction with them? What do they do? I mean, do? it's amazing. It's sort of on a when I need them basis. So, you know, a lot of it's on WhatsApp or, or jump on jump on uh, Hangouts calls is where, I mean, the AFL is a five-year joint venture project. So tell, doing- oh, tell us about that. What is that? So we've got a five-year joint venture with the AFL where we're helping build out their NFTs, metaverse experience, the whole Web3 zone. So fan tokens, everything it could possibly look like. Um, we've, we've got a whole project team. So does the AFL. We're doing it together. It's truly a joint partnership. We're not in a client sort of relationship with them. It's a project team. And that's part of the journey initially is we're going to be bringing these amazing footy moments, whether it's Buddy's thousandth goal or Petrarca's or all of these top marks of the year, bringing them and finally, you know, the AFL selling this IP to their fans. So you as a fan can now actually buy in the upside of a, of a player that you love. You know, maybe there's a young player, rookie, that you're like, okay, I want to buy all his NFTs. And then 10 years down the track, he's this superstar. It's recorded on the blockchain that you actually are a true fan that backed him when he was a young player. And that's really cool because – Right now, um, when you think about it, the industry of the AFL and sporting is quite extractive. Like you go there, you pay your ticket. Yeah, they put on a good show and there's some entertainment. It's a transaction. You can't can't participate in the upside. Yeah, yeah, it's just one transaction. It's a transaction. You walk, go out. 
So now we're building this and, you know, it starts with NFTs and there are these awesome moments, almost like the ticket, the, the entry to the world. But beyond that, like ticketing, um, there's so much we can do, fan tokens. Um, there's, I mean, Mark Cuban with, with the Dallas Mavericks is moving all the Dallas Mavericks ticketing to, to NFTs. Not, you know, so there's so much you can do. I mean, maybe the AFL, but if we think ridiculously ahead 10 years, who knows? They might want to fractionalize the ownership of clubs. Yep. And that can be done through these tokens. And the whole journey started with people buying these NFTs. So before we go to the future, you know, there's fractionalizing the ownership of a club through NFTs yeah. or some other form of digital currency, so to speak. Yeah. Just just wheel back a little bit. So in terms of ticketing, and you mentioned Mark Cuban, but in terms of ticketing, what does that mean? So in an NFT world, does that mean I buy a ticket to go to next week's game? How does the, the NFT actually give me the ticket? And why is that a valuable thing, potentially valuable thing? Why would it be important? So do I get the ticket moment, number 400 or something? Over, you know, there's like over 200 people that participate in, in 200 suppliers that get a clip of a ticket. Right. For most sporting games, right, it's a quite an inefficient system of how the ticketing and the back ends are all. Run. Who are the Who are the? Give me a couple. Oh, of examples you know, of like let's say it's the MCG. It's it's them. It's the you know it's it's the hospitality. It's all the different participants that that get a clip of the tickets. The it's the you know sponsors, the partners. Um, gosh, there's ton, tons of different participants that, that take a clip, and it's a relatively inefficient, well, rather inefficient process to do this. So turning it to putting it on the blockchain is a way to, as a ticket, just like you got a paper ticket, you can have it on your wallet and your phone, still buzz into the game and do everything, but all the secondary sales, so if you go and sell and, you know, these days it's all a bit dodgy, right? People's doing the secondary sales and the AFL and places don't want secondary sales occurring because they it's like a black market. This is a way where they're going to get royalties on all of those secondary sales and those trading. For the AFL does, yeah. Yeah, yep. w- would get it through through <laughs> NFTs. So when you say secondary sales, you mean like if I went and bought a ticket on, from Ticketek and it yep. got delivered to me or uh, I went off and uh, sort of hawked it to somebody else. Totally. Because so I bought it for hundred bucks, but it's a really big game. Sell it for three hundred. Sell it for three hundred. Yeah. I pick up two hundred. I yeah. give them three hundred back. Make two hundred dollar profit. No one else gets a share in that. Yeah. Whereas if the AFL does this through something that goes into your wallet, yeah, digital wallet, that the they'll know about it because mm. it's on the blockchain, and they will get their clip. Yeah, they'll get five or ten percent, whatever it is. Yeah, you, you can still get your sale. Yeah, you the individual, the the fan. Yeah. Um, is there any value in the ticket though? I mean, apart from that. Is there, are you saying that the the ticket on the blockchain allows you to allows the AFL to follow the provenance of the ticket, the, yeah. the sale of the ticket? And by the way, if I'm the buyer too, I'm pretty happy with it because I yeah. know it's a real deal. Um, you know, I know it's fair income. But is there anything other than that? Is there any value in that um, that non fungible token? In other words, if it's yeah. ticket number one hundred and ten to the game when Collingwood kick the ass of uh, whoever it is they're yeah, playing yeah. in the grand final. Is it? Do you think there's some value in that too for me to keep? I mean, there's a few different. You can design it, right? You can design it as a ticket that after the after the actual event, it just burns and doesn't exist anymore. Or Buddy or, Holly might go and draw his yeah. signature on every ticket. Or you can it can become a collector's item that people are interested. They're like, right. you were at that moment, and that was historical because of X, Y, and Z. And maybe someone will buy that in the future. Or, or so. So, is an example of where you can make it valuable is that you might say. In the 50,000 tickets that get sold for the particular game, yeah. um, 
One of them is going to have Buddy signature on it. Yeah, but it's in a, it's a lottery style. Yes, and everyone goes buying because they want that, and then I might get that. It might yeah. be ticket one hundred seventy eight. Yeah, and uh, I get an. Are you saying that NFT which sits on the blockchain is valuable? Yeah, potentially is valuable. And, and I more, might sell it one day. Yeah, and more ways to add value to that. That's one one way. More ways to add value is it can be this amazing pass. Like if you have a NFT of this game, after the game you're going to get a free beer at any venue within 10 kilometres or after the game okay. you're going to get access to Nike's Metaverse or you can design anything. You're going to get, you know, your airline flight on the way home. You're going to get upgraded, miss the queues. You're going to get hospitality upgrades. You can actually just bring in all these ecosystem partners and this beautifully efficient system, which, you know, even loyalty programs and rewards and all of this, they've always been so siloed. This is such a beautiful way to connect it because you can just design it in on the blockchain. Okay, yep, if this occurs, that happens. So you can really design this great sort of community. Yeah, it's interesting, um, you know, because NFTs and digital currencies and all that sort of stuff about decentralising to some extent. Yeah. Um, But in respect of what you're talking about, you're sort of centralising it all back to the AFL so that they can, you know, have their participating partners to give ultimate value to you, the consumer. Well, not, not not necessarily because really in this instance I just spoke of, you own the ticket, not the AFL, right? You're getting a way to participate and create this value and your ticket might go up. So it's not going to the AFL. Yeah, they might still get a royalty on it, but you're the one that's participating in 95% value capture of the growth of that, not the AFL, which is super cool and that hasn't been cool. available before. And it's going a little bit beyond where the – the sort of NFT world is in relation to art. I mean, yeah. it's, it's, you're taking it out. You might have – someone might do a particular design on it which may make it valuable as a piece of art, the ticket itself maybe. Mm. But but really what you're talking about here is all the value adds. Spot on. Yeah, they, they come about as a result of going to a game yeah. and or being a person who participates in this relative to, say, partners, yeah. partners, AFL partners or Collingwood partners or yeah. whoever the partners are. And that's the real, you know, we think of Web2 or other forms of marketing. They're very product-centric. Like we want to sell you an airline ticket. It's just ads and get our ticket and whatever. This is totally community-centric. So it's a it's a great opportunity to go. And, and we're even having, you know, there's a one of our one of our um, partners is doing the uh, Cricket Australia and we're speaking to the Olympic Commission and it's ways to connect all of these communities together. Go, if you've got an NFT here, you can also get access here and these are brilliant ways to build, you know, real tribes and communities together. It's not just a flashy bit of art that someone buys for all this money, which the headlines kind of capture our minds that direction. You can really design amazing ecosystems and communities and we kind of call them communities of communities that all start to connect and and that's the value that's just much better than a bit of paper ticket. Yeah, so that, that's very interesting. So because what that sort of avoids is, I don't want to call it silly, but these um, irrational digital art values, when I say they're irrational, they're irrational in that they don't seem to have any fundamentals associated with the value increases but also the volatility decreases. So like, you know, yeah. it sort of moves away from that Yeah, and you're not you're – not the, 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 the NFT itself is not subject. It's not not valuable because it might go up because it might come down too. Yeah, and, and that 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 sort of stuff's sort of getting a lot of publicity at the moment. And the whole NFT world in that regard, yeah, um, is a little bit um, weird. I'm just going to have to hang out and see what it, where it all lands. Yeah, um, but what you've done is you've created something else that's more a value add game. Totally, it's a bit like that um, thing you do when you go for a run. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, how cool is that, you know? It's, in metaverse fitness. I mean, you can incentivize whatever behaviors you want to see in a community. We want to see people continually come to each game. Yeah. We want to see people buy from our partners. Yeah. We want to see people support local, you know, venues nearby. We want them to travel on blah, 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 blah. You can incentivize all that And behavior. if you do that, we'll reward you. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And, hey, if you go for a run and, again, why – we're bringing this fitness metaverse into the AFL experience. And if you're an AFL mint holder, you're going to get access into all of these worlds. And it's like, hey, why not run? And someone asked me the other day, oh, but this is getting us all to sit in, you know, just with headphones on and, and get unhealthy and we're trying to promote health. And I'm like, I can challenge you on that because this experience here, like we believe it's ways. If that's your goal, we can incentivize your community to be out pounding the pavement. We can be incentivizing them to do X, Y, and Z, and they're getting paid and rewarded for it. So if that's your goal, then let's design that. People start to go, wow, so this is a technology that can design incentive programs and mechanisms and communities. Ah, it's not just a bit of colourful art that's overvalued or yeah. whatever some people well, may think. Yeah, it's just a bit I get it, but I don't get it, if you know what I mean. Yeah. And it, and it has received a bit of a pounding of late. Your use of blockchain you know, for the for the smarts and also sort of doing a deal with the AFL, for example, is a, a really clever way of um, connecting partners, advertisers, promoters, product sellers, whatever, with yeah. communities and then communities and in turn communities with them. So, and you, you're building a lot of options around it. I, I wouldn't mind just playing around a little bit here, but yeah. <laughs> can we just get into the metaverse a little bit here? Um, All right, let's dive in. <laughs> hey, jump in. Where do you think would be the best starting point for somebody who really hasn't experienced immersing themselves into the metaverse. It's like anything, right? As soon as you get active, you, you sort of learn more about it by immersion. So I would say actually get into one of the metaverses. And this is so how, how? So let's use an example, the sandbox. You can literally go Google sandbox um, and go in there. You're going to create an avatar, give him or her a does, name. does it prompt you? Yep, it it's, says you go through the steps, yep. you connect your, your wallet. Uh, you don't have to connect your wallet, but you can connect your crypto wallet as well so you can buy things and, and participate. Uh, and then you're going to set up your avatar. You're going to dress them. You're going to choose your shoes. You're going you're gonna to get, get your, you know, your form ready, your identity ready. And then you can go and walk around and check things out. Laptop you can do it on screen. your desktop. Yeah. Yep. You don't need to have no. a set of Oculus uh, no. Just following this on your tablet. Yeah. And, yeah. and just and just sort of get desktop's probably the best place. You know, it's not as good on a on a mobile device. Um, and you can just start walking around. You can go jump into Snoop Dogg's uh, big pad. So he's there? He's there, doing a lot of things. He's always hosting events and shows. Um, you can go, you can go watch a fashion event if you're into that. But you might have to pay. Sometimes to get in, yeah, you might have to have tokens, or which is I suppose is a form of currency. Um, other times, lots of them are open and available, and you can just go walk around. If you want to, like, hey, like being in a shopping mall, you can go to the shopping mall. You can go to Bondi Junction for free, right? But if you want to buy a jumper, you're gonna have to pay for it for so your avatar. Yeah, for your avatar. Yeah, yeah. So when you said you would, you can um, connect your wallet. Yeah. You're talking about your app wallet or your digital wallet? Yeah, your digital wallet. Your so digital whether it's wallet. your MetaMask or what, wherever, whatever crypto wallet you're using. Yeah. 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 Is there any danger in that? Can someone inside the metaverse jump into my digital wallet? 
I mean, I suppose it's like your your, they could your sa- banking app, isn't it? It's- but they could they could break into my house and steal money out of my drawer. Yeah, if I had money in my drawer. But yeah, got cash I feel like that's anyway, more but- risky. Someone breaking, you know, if you've got ten grand in your top drawer, it's probably at more risk. Like if you who's got saved- cash anymore these days anyway? Well, but- exactly. If you've saved your wallet and you've been, if you've saved your password and your secret phrase and you've been smart about it, it's not just saved in your iPhone notes or or somewhere that could be compromised. You know, it's a pretty secure, uh, safe way to to store store your assets. Okay, so I got my wallet there, my crypto wallet. So, yeah. what do I buy with that? You can go and buy. Oh, you can buy shoes. You can buy accessories, a hat. You can buy, um, you know, land. You can go and buy a plot of land. You can then build something on it. You might say, okay, I love Snoop Dogg. I'm gonna build a entertainment venue next to Snoop Dogg. And, you know, people have been paying millions and millions of dollars to build their entertainment venues near Snoop Dogg. Um, And you can set up a world that you find other people might be interested in. Now, I want to stop you right there now. So tell me why, please. (laughs) Would assume I had $100 million cash. Yeah. Transfer a million dollars out of my wallet to buy, build an entertainment center next door to Snoop Dogg. Yeah. Why would I do that? I mean, what's my return? Well, a few things, yeah. So my cousin bought a plot of land in the metaverse in the sandbox metaverse a few years ago and he's just sold it and bought a beautiful house in Dunsborough, right? So it's gone up from like 15000 to $500,000. Why? It's a bit like anything. Why is Rose Bay or Manhattan valued at so much. So you would do it for that reason? So you in other think words, the value is going to appreciate? It will go up yeah. or, or it has gone up so far, yeah. You know, the, the, you're going to do it because the value appreciates. You can also get return on your assets. So if you buy a plot and then you're selling tickets, you're hosting events, um, you know, the, there's been some different um, artists uh, that have done hosted shows and 50 million people have bought tickets and attended and they've made 50 times that and alternatively, they'd have to go and do 20 real-life shows. So they've hosted this. You know, Travis Scott was one that did that. He only had to do two or three Metaverse events and he made more money, nearly double what he made from doing like 30 or 40 um, physical shows where he had to be away from his family, travel. You know, there's risks of all this sort of real-life stuff. These are reasons. You, it's not you're actually getting a return, you know, and I think, gosh, you can spend $10,000. How much Real life property's gone from ten thousand to six, seven hundred thousand dollars in three years. Yeah, so nowhere. The assumption, of course, is if you buy today for six hundred thousand, that the same mathematics would apply maybe in another five or ten yeah. years to your six hundred. It's probably unlikely. But it's yeah. probably unlikely because getting in early would have been the go. I mean, someone like Snoop Dogg is in this metaverse. He's in there as Snoop Dogg. Yeah. How does he actually hold an event? Yeah, so it's just think of it just like the real, real, real world, right? He'd say, "I'm hosting an event at this entertainment complex. Market it, promote it, talk about it, buy tickets, and then in the event, you can actually be there, and all these avatars are walking around, and he's either singing up on stage as himself, um, and you're there, and you can be meeting people, talking to them. It's it's a just think of it like a digital simulation of of a real life event." Or you can decide that maybe you want to have this really out there creative event that doesn't even look that much like real life. It's sort of the limits are on your creativity. And is this about um, escapism? I think, you know, it's crazy stats. It's nearly half of people under the age of 18 
consider their digital identity their primary identity now? Why do people buy Rolexes or drive nice cars or why don't we all just wear black T-shirts from Target? I do. You know, <laughs> yes, so do I. But why don't we all just do that? Because people want an identity. And, you know, if you lost your Twitter, Instagram, Facebook and you know, all of the online media tomorrow, you'd probably feel like a bit less of a person. So people value their identity and this is a way that they can go and be interesting. This young gentleman I was speaking to, he said, oh, Jordan, me being male and from a, you know, well-to-do family and having blue eyes and whatnot, they're my accidental characteristics. I was like, whoa, mind warp. But when you think of it, it's sort of true. Well, the things he didn't choose. He didn't choose. And in this environment, you can you know, create, be, do and participate however you want. And and it's just, I suppose, I don't think we're all going to live in there and sit on the couch and, and you know, um, that's our lives, but it's just another way of self-expression. When I look at you, you're talking to me, um, it's pretty exciting for you. Like you, you get like fully into it, um, yes, which is yes, great. It's, yes. great. It's, it's fucking fantastic. I mean, I actually... I'm totally intrigued and curious about the whole thing. And I mean, yeah. I'm, I'm an old dude, but like these new concepts, I mean, I, they rage in my brain. Um, yeah. The intellect around it. I mean, it, and the, and trying to come to terms with, say, for example, that young fellow who you told mm. me about yeah. just then, um, ha- having accidental characteristics and traits, and then he goes off and creates something that is not accidental. Yeah. And that is what he. What he wants to create doesn't mean it wants to be him as a different person. Yeah, it doesn't mean he's unhappy with who he is. Yeah, 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 yeah. It just gives is an opportunity for him to be a, a creator. Yeah, it's the opportunity just to become a creator. Yeah, it's so cool, so cool. And and you live in this world, you work in this world, and you know I'd encourage people. People, you know, you read the headlines, and even when Facebook first came out, people were like, "Oh, should we get on there?" And should we? It's like it can be what we make it. And yes, real world has a lot of bad stuff too, you know, like, but, but if you focus on that, then you're going to kind of live in this. So it, there is, it's the limit of our creativity and our innovation to what we can create through this. And it's like what we challenge is like, what good can we create? How much better de- depth of connection community and all of these things can this solve and create for a better future rather than, you know, just going, Oh, there's a, this is a bit silly. Well, it's not silly. Mm. I think it's uh, anything that's creative to me is at the top of the tree. Like it's a priority. That's yeah. one. But anything that also lets us learn something brand new that we would not otherwise learn yeah. is probably even above that. Yeah. And it is so stimulatory. Yeah. Intellectual sense and the way our neurological system yeah, works. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's got to be beneficial to us. Yeah, totally. I, I think. Yeah. As long as you don't become obsessed with it and sort of sort of move into there and think that's, you know, yeah. you lose your t- touch with reality. Yeah. As long as you don't lose touch with reality and I guess there's some sensitivity around that but it's pretty cool. And I think what you do in the AFL is just awesome. I mean, I an AFL are a – they are really our leader with new innovations. I mean, yeah. they've been, they have done a, such a brilliant job, their distribution, their brand, how they've built themselves and got themselves into schools in, 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 in Australia and they've actually outdone the NRL in yeah. some respects. The NRL are a little bit behind on this stuff, but I do know the NRL are thinking about these sorts yeah. of environments because they've actually packaged it up so that they have the rights to the, mm. the equivalent of Buddy Franklin. Yeah. The, the NRL has all the rights to yeah. all, all those images, et cetera. Yeah digital I'm talking about, 
Um, and I presume they're doing it so that they can, you know, uh, make money and then give the money back to the clubs. Yeah, which is how the NRL works. It's slightly different than the AFL. But then you you live and work in this world. So I mean, I'm I'm I don't want to say impressed is a shitty word, but <laughs> I, I'm I'm so uh, I'm jealous actually <laughs> that you're, you're working. Pumped. It. I'm pumped. I love it. I know I really love it. I've enjoyed so much talking to you today, uh, Jordan. And but it's interesting. What's the deal with you, Fogarty's? There's a Davey Fogarty too. Is sort of similar, but he's more in um he's more in, in um, Web two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's yeah, yeah. more more about the transactions. Yeah. He's more Web two. You're gone Web three and yeah. um, Metaverse, etc. Um, but Davey's he's been on the podcast too. Dave, but he's yeah. from South Australia. You're from West Australia. Um, so it's interesting. You know, we've got you know two Fogarty's. Are you not related? Are you? No, we're no, not. Yeah, no, just no, haven't no. had the same name. Yeah. Um, I always give her an opportunity to ask me a question. I'm scared to ask offer you the opportunity to ask me a question because you might ask me something that I don't know fuck all about. But um, what question you got for me? I, I read something the other day which was like, I'll oh, cut the bullshit and just, you know, it's about hard work. Where do you think you develop that, like that belief structure and kind of like that drive? I'm a big student and I read all the scholarly articles. I'm talking about, you know, the proper abstract written yeah. by people doing studies on this stuff either anywhere in the world yeah. about leadership. Yeah. And um, – and leadership is built on, you know, there's you know five or six different styles of leadership, you know, in, in the literature I'm talking about. If you did a literature review, you'll find, you know, five or six different styles of leadership. Yeah. And leadership is talks about mindset. One, they all, each one of these different types of leadership talk about mindset. Mindset's about structure and structure is about hard work. I mean, yeah. it's pretty simple. I mean, yeah. a part of any structure is is work involved and, yeah. and it's could be tedious, but it doesn't matter. It's got to happen. Yeah. And therefore, I think in order to be a good leader, um, in business, I'm talking about for me. Um, it doesn't matter; it could be a political leader. In terms of being a leader, or a good leader, or a quality leader, high quality, or a, a, um, um, a person who wants to be followed, you've got to I know this scholarly literature. You've got to when you see that you find the common denominator, and the common denominator is about structure, yeah. mindset, and structure. And structure is about hard work. So that's where I start on everything. Yeah, I start on everything. It doesn't matter whether I'm talking to you about the metaverse. <laughs> The same principle applies. Yeah. If I wanted to lead a business into that environment, I'd have to put in a gr- tremendous amount of effort. Now, lots of people say, oh, my dad worked hard. My dad did work hard. My dad had a number of jobs. My mum, dad both worked, you know, and I I saw it. But it's more than monkey see, monkey do. Yeah. It's beyond effort equals reward. It's the next la- layer. Yeah. The next layer is that is what works. That is what makes it happen. Yeah. Yes. Whatever it is you're dreaming about, yeah. whatever it is you want to create, whatever it is you're curious about, yeah. and whether or not you can lead something into that, other people into that environment and make that business work, that yeah. make that idea work, taking it from idea to create to a business, hard work, Working hard, tirelessly, knowing that you're chasing something that's really cool, like what you do, is a precondition mm. to succeeding. Mm. A conditioned precedent. Yes, yes. So it's not just working hard. Lots of people work hard, but it's knowing why you do it. Yes, yeah. And it's not, you know, people say, oh, it's my purpose. That's great. But no, I do it for something beyond that. Yeah. It's much more intellectual and scholarly is the reason I do it. Yes, yes. And I think 
you probably get what it is I'm saying. Totally. Mm. Well, it's been Jordan. It's been great talking to you. Um, I presume you're over here in Sydney visiting your Sydney office. You didn't fly over from West Australia for the podcast. Yeah. <laughs> well done. You 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 are. I'm jealous, mate. You are, and that's a shit. I think yeah, it's very. But you are working in an environment which is so cool. And very practical too. You're making money out of it too. So obviously that's pretty important. You're not just playing in it. You're working in it. Yeah. That's yeah. so cool. What it's full doing. on. And no, I, that's good fun. I really enjoyed this conversation. Thanks very much, Jordan. Me too, Mark. Thanks for having me. You're welcome. Cheers. Thanks for listening to another episode of The Mentor with Mark Boris. Audio and production is by Jessica Smalley. Production assistance, Simon McDermott. This is a mentored podcast. <laughs>